0: <laughs> I knew it. A little Easter miracle up here. Okay, so for those of you that have no idea why everybody is applauding right now, it's not because this sermon is going to be great. It's because I am dressed to the nine right now. And I usually look like I rolled out of a boxcar. fine. No plans to address this thing, but I will now that I'm on it. This is what happens when you let the 8 a.m. service pick out what you're going to wear for church. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I make fun of you guys, too. I would never let you pick out what I'm going to wear. I know some of you guys in the 9.30. I wouldn't let you pick it out. But, no, this is is 8 a.m. service up here, right? Jeans is kind of cash. It's 9.30. 11 o'clock right here at the shoes. It's my 11 o'clock friends. A little bit for everybody. Become all things to all people. It's a little Bible verse. What are we talking about today? Uh, <laughs> hey, that was really good. That little quartet thing there, that whole brass. They did a great job. Jason did such a good job. <laughs> Pastor Dan did such a good job. I auditioned, I don't know if I ever told you guys this story uh, while we're just had, hanging out talking, I guess. <laughs> uh, I auditioned when I was a teenager. I was in uh, high school. I auditioned for the, for the worship team uh, with my trumpet because I played the trumpet. And um, I used to play it, kind of. <laughs> And I auditioned, and I was in high school, so, you know, I wasn't a little kid, but I got really nervous. It was Pastor Dan. He was the, the worship leader. He's great. I mean, he's fantastic. But I got really nervous, and for those of you that work with me or know me, I get randomly nervous sometimes. I get shaky and sweaty, and I can't look at you in the eye, and I don't know why it happens. It passes. I'm at peace with it. I know it happens. But I got really nervous in the middle of this audition. I got so nervous I started to cry. Like, I'm just... <laughs> And if you've ever heard of someone try to play a brass instrument while they're crying, I mean, I'm an ugly crier, so I'm like, my lip's curling, and you're trying to keep that embouchure and force the air out, and you can't do it. I had to stop halfway through the song, just tears, (laughs) just (laughs) boo. And Pastor Dan, he was great. He was so kind and compassionate. He was like, "What's, what's going on? And I didn't know. Like, I didn't know what was wrong. So... I just made, some, I was, made something up. I was like, it's the music. It's just so be-. I was like, it's just so beautiful. It was a bold faced lie. I, the music was not beautiful at all, it was horrible. It sounded terrible. So he knew I lied. I didn't make it either, by the way. But anyway. So uh, they say as a pastor, you're supposed to make sure people leave the sermon like most impressed with God's word and not you. And that's easy when I have stories like that. I mean, it's easy for you guys to be super impressed with God and not me. But anyway, so today we're talking about, uh, it's the part of the, the Easter narrative, right? We're leading up in the church calendar. We're getting to Easter. And in the biblical account, in the narrative, we're seven days away. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's arriving for the Passover festival, which is arguably like the definitive uh, moment in is in Jewish history, where God liberates His people. He uses Moses, you know, to go to Pharaoh. Says, "Let my people go." Pharaoh says, "No." God sends plagues. Finally, He releases the Israelites. He releases the Jews, and Moses leads them out of Egypt, and they celebrate this. They celebrate how God did that, particularly passing over, uh, by um, uh, with the angel of death that, that ended up liberating being the final liberating pair, uh, plague that god sent pharaoh where all the firstborns uh passed away if they didn't have the the lamb's blood over their door it's a symbol of the lamb jesus christ the lamb that covers over us and saves us from death and so so that that last plague you know convinces pharaoh it's time to let these people go he lets them go jesus is in town uh centuries later to celebrate this jewish passover festival and he's, he's greeted like a celebrity. I mean, he goes in kind of like a big deal because, you know, Jesus did most of his ministry in, like, the countryside, rural, suburban uh, Israel. And he's famous for all these miracles and all these teachings. So Matthew records, and I'll read it to you here. Matthew records in chapter 21, Jesus' big entry into the city. Here it is. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds, they're singing, you know, they're singing, they're chanting, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Seven days later, like just seven days later, they're actually ushering him out of the city. So here he's coming in. Seven days later, they're ushering him out of the city to a landfill uh, where he's gonna die on a cross between two criminals. What happened in seven days? I mean, I mean, this, this had to be more than just a couple series of bad days strung together in a week, right? Well, you would be right. This is a plot that goes well before this week, this big entry. And that's where I want to pick up the story. In order to contextualize Palm Sunday, we got to go back to the very beginning of the plot for Easter and Good Friday, which is the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the religious leaders, and they're the ones stringing together the plot to kill Jesus. Do you know what the very first time and the very first mention in the gospel accounts of the pharisees wanting to kill jesus you know what you know what the straw that broke the camel's back was it was something to do with the sabbath the sabbath is the jewish saturday it's saturday in the jewish calendar in their week uh, it's the seventh day when god rested centuries later the traditions of the of christianity and the church even after centuries after jesus uh, we, we The church tradition said, hey, if we're going to meet regularly, let's do it on Sunday because that's when he resurrected from the dead and and we can now rest in our uh, spiritual lives. So Saturday is going to be moved to Sunday for the Christian because that's going to be our Sabbath meeting time. And it's also going to be we're going to celebrate the resurrection. That was when Jesus rose from the dead, was on a Sunday. So Christians kind of tradition, it's not necessarily a biblical thing, just traditionally they moved it to Sunday. But Jews celebrated it on Saturday and they celebrated the Sabbath every week by resting. They rest from all physical work. And so Jesus is kind of caught on a technicality doing some work when really he's just kind of snacking. He's kind of walking through a field. He's snacking. He also heals somebody on this day, which they say is work. You know, the Pharisees catch him working. But really what sends the Pharisees over the edge, the reason they decide we're going to kill this guy, records in Mark, in Mark chapter 2. Think about that. Mark 1 is this is Jesus. Mark 2 is we got to kill this guy. I mean, it was that early in his ministry. Mark chapter 2, this is where the incident happens. So, then he said to them, this is the big thing that sent him over the edge. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So they confront him. He kind of replies back with this. And then these are the words that send the Pharisees over the edge. So the Son of Man, referring to himself there, very clearly referring to himself. He was notorious for doing that. It wasn't uncommon in the day for teachers and rabbis to refer to themselves like that. So the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. So the Pharisees get together, and it kind of bleeds into chapter three a little bit. And the Pharisees went out and they began to plot with the Herodians. These are the, en- this is the enemy. The Herodians are the people who are pro-Herod. They're the ones who uh, basically protect and kind of advocate for Herod and his, his policies. That's the enemy. The Jews are, are ruled by the, by the Romans. You know, they're not, they're not, they're pagans. The Romans are pagans, they're not even Jewish. And yet the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are going, this is so bad, Lord of the Sabbath. This is so bad, we got to partner with the enemy. In fact, Jesus is a bigger enemy than our greatest enemy. It's that bad. I mean, well, what? I mean if you're like me, you're like, what's, what's the big deal? Let him, let, him have, let him have Saturday. Okay, let, let Jesus be the Saturday king. Pharisees, you guys can be the Sunday through Friday kings. I mean just you have seven days. Give him the one. You guys take six. I mean, I mean what's the big, it's Saturday too, no one's doing anything. It's not like a productive day. Okay, Chick fil A is closed. <laughs> so let him have Saturday, okay? You guys take Sunday through Friday. What's the big deal? Well, the Sabbath is a quite a big deal in Jewish and biblical theology. So it goes all the way back to Genesis. So here we go, we're gonna go back to Genesis. Now here's the thing about Genesis. Here's the thing about the Sabbath. Do you know what the first thing in all of creation uh, that was declared holy, you know what it was? It wasn't land, you know, it wasn't land. It wasn't people, it wasn't a place, it wasn't the holy temple, wasn't any of that. The first thing in all of the Bible that's declared holy, set apart, belonging to God, was time. It was a specific time, it was the seventh day in creation. Here it is in Genesis chapter 2. Then God honored the seventh day. He honored it. He made it sacred and he called it holy and because it's because he rested from all his work which he had done. That's interesting, right? Time. He sanctifies time. The weird thing about the Sabbath, this is in, in all of biblical theology, this is true. The land that's holy, that eventually becomes the Holy Land, that land is made holy by the people's good works. If the people don't follow all of God's laws and do all the good works, the land is defiled. It's no longer holy. The Sabbath, though, that was holy no matter what. Whether you adhered to it or not, it was the seventh day, it was a holy day, it was holy time whether you adhered to it or not. is as if Jesus is saying, my Lord of the Sabbath, I can declare things holy whether they obey all the laws or not. What does that sound like? sounds a little bit like Easter. Regardless of whether or not you obey all the laws, it is God who can declare holy, people holy maybe? We'll come back to that. What do you say we'll come back to that? But here's the idea. It's basically that mankind was made on the sixth day and on the seventh day, God rested. But here's the deal. On the seventh day, that was humanity's first day. Think about that. First order of business for Adam. He's, a, he's created. He's not sore from last week. You know, I'm starting to get old, so I'm, I'm realizing you can pull a muscle in your sleep. You can literally pull a muscle resting. That's, that's my life now. But, you know, the, Adam didn't have any of that. He's perfectly handmade by God, reporting for duty, what he wants to do, and God says, sit down. Let's hang out. Let's just rest. Enjoy. That was Adam's first day. So biblically and theologically and to the Jewish tradition, mankind was made to enjoy God. That's why we were made. We were made for rest, not for productivity. In American theology, it's hey, hey, the rest is a means to an end. It's not, you know, the Sabbath is a means to an end. The end is productivity. Be productive. Get work done. Get work, 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 work. And then rest up because there's more work to do and you only rest after you've done the work. In this case, God does all the work. Humanity gets to enjoy the reward. What, is that? what does that sound like? So Jesus is saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So for the Jew, preparing for the Sabbath culturally and theologically was equally important as obeying the Sabbath itself. So every Jewish boy and girl knew growing up that mom and dad had to resolve their fight by Friday night because the Sabbath is coming. Everything's got to rest on Saturday, including conflict. Everything. And this was just, this is the way you obeyed the Sabbath laws, was every week when Friday's coming, you're getting ready, you're preparing, because come Saturday, everything's got to be at rest, which means even conflict has to come to rest. That for the Jewish boys and girls growing up, they were taught in early age, it's a sin to be sad on the Sabbath. You cannot be sad. You want to be sad? Pick it up on Sunday, not on Saturday. Because we belong to God. We are his people. And he's got us. And we've got him. And we've got everything we need in him. He's got all of creation. And we get to enjoy him so we can be happy and rest. You want to be sad? Pick it up on Sunday. You want to worry? You want to be stressed? you got to wait till Sunday. Saturday's coming. Sabbath. Time to be at peace. It's a sin to panic on the Sabbath kind of makes you want to be Jewish, doesn't it? It's kind of like, we should, we should do that. We should. Hey, Christianity makes the Sabbath a whole lot better, and we're going to come to that in a little bit. But it wasn't just because of Genesis. The Sabbath wasn't just about Genesis. It actually has a lot to do with kind of the reason Jesus is in Jerusalem right now. It has a lot to do with Egypt. There's a connection to Egypt. Look at, look at Moses. Okay, Moses is doling out the Ten Commandments here. He's, he's reading them off. And he gets to the Sabbath, because that's one of them. So here it is. This is the Sabbath Ten Commandment in Deuteronomy, chapter five. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, neither your son, your daughter, your male, female servant, your ox, your donkey, animals, horns. I mean it goes on, it goes on, right? Right? It goes on. It's kind of like Oprah. It's like you get a Sabbath, you get a Sabbath, you're getting a Sabbath, you're all getting Sabbath. We're like, oh, we're getting Sabbath. Okay, that's how it plays out in my head. So, but then you're like, why? Okay, why, why all this? Why all the Sabbaths? Why is my donkey and why is the ox getting the Sabbath? Why are we all getting Sabbaths? Well, here's why. Moses says, This is why God is instituting the Sabbath. Here it is. The next verse, chapter 5. Remember, you were slaves. You didn't have a Sabbath in Egypt. The Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, we're going to Sabbath. See, Egypt. They didn't have a Sabbath. Now, Egypt was super productive, arguably, arguably in history the most productive civilization ever exists. And you're like, well, what about America? They didn't have our technology. Could you imagine if they had? I mean, to this day, even really smart people, scholars, kind of wonder if they had some help from aliens. Like, it's like, maybe there's no way people, and I'll tell you what, if the ancient Jew was standing here, they'd say, you know, we could have used some help from aliens. Okay, because it was pretty brutal. No, it can you can do that. You can do that kind of work. You know how you do that kind of work? You know how you be that productive? You don't take a Sabbath. You just work all the time. I mean, look at these pyramids. This is a pyramid, right? One of these bricks is like is like the size of a house. And yet people are moving these things up. Look at I mean, look at that. And it's so I mean, that is an incredible amount of productivity and work. Pharaoh was all about no Sabbath. There was no Sabbath in Egypt. In fact, look at how many times work is referenced. Check this out. This is in chapter 5. This is just in one chapter of Exodus. Look at how many times. Work. Get to your labor. Stop working. Next slide. Let them go and gather straw. Require the same quantity of bricks because they're lazy. Next slide. Look at this. Heavier work. They need labor. Next slide. Look at this. Complete your work. Next slide. Finish the required quantity of work. Look at this. More. It keeps going. They keep talking about work. Go now and work. It's just brutal, hard labor. It's just Work, 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 work. There's a song about that. I think it's I think it's by some art, Rihanna or something like that. Anyway, it's just all about work. But if you if you take your picture in your head of what this was like, and you use American concepts. And understandings of historical slavery you're going to miss a little bit i got to give you a little a more clear picture i'm going to give it to you through the mouths of the and the thoughts of the israelites themselves so this is i'm going to show you two passages of scripture this is them outside of egypt now they've left they've been liberated moses came in told pharaoh let my people go pharaoh said no finally he said yes he leads the people out and the people are wandering in in the desert they're wandering in the judean wilderness because they're afraid to go into the promised land because there's giants there and they're like, we don't have enough strength, we don't have enough people to fight these people. So they're wandering around and they're starting to complain. And this is how they talk about Egypt. Now, they're not making stuff up. I mean, I, what we're seeing here isn't them revising history. They're not looking at Egypt through rose-colored glasses. This is, they're describing their circumstances in Egypt. So you have to combine what I just read to you in chapter five with how they describe their experience in Egypt as well. This is it, in Exodus 16, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, there we had pots filled with meat, pots of meat. Ate all the bread we wanted. And then numbers. They're complaining, kinda of the same thing. They record this in numbers. We had all the fish. We used to eat for free. For free? You're a slave. What do you get for free? You can't you don't get anything for free as a slave. But they're like, We had all these fish, cucumbers, melons, we had the garlic. Mm, the garlic. We had it all in Egypt. You see, to understand what God saved his people from, you have to get a full picture of what Pharaoh in Egypt is like. You see, in the ancient world, it was a violent time. You know, we don't have any, con- we're so sterile and domesticated here. We're just, everyone's, so, you know, everything is whitewashed and sterilized and clean and nice and safe and diplomacy and all this. It was a violent time back then. Survival was not just something that like, I got to run to Walmart. Survival was like, maybe it's not going to happen for me today. Any day now, somebody can come up over that ridgeway, over that hill, and if they're bigger and stronger than us, we're dead. And they'll just take. And there's no, we're gonna report this to. There isn't any of that. We, you're just gonna die. And that, that's that's life every day. We can't even. I mean, we can't even try to get into their frame of mind and culture. So when Egypt said, "You can live in our world," I mean, Egypt. Fair, I mean, you saw the pyramids. These guys, these guys, nobody mess with. And they had this thing called the Nile. And that stuff, that, that Nile thing just cranked out. They survived droughts after droughts after droughts after droughts because that Nile just kept flooding, and then it would, it would flood, then it would recede, and tons of fertile soil. I mean, it was just incredible. It's more like this. Here, here's, here's what God saved his people from. It's more like this. Think of this. You graduate from college or you work your way up in your career or you graduate from high school, whatever, and you're trying to get that big job, that, job that, you've, that dream job. Goldman Sachs calls you. They're too big to fail, right? They're never going to go. And they're saying, listen, we're going to give you the security detail. We're going to give you bennies on bennies, man. We're going to give you insurance on your insurance. Your retirement is covered. You can have all the vacation you want. We've got private jets for you. we got food. You can, buy all the, you can have all the garlic money you can buy. How's that? You can have it all. Here's the deal. You're going to work like a dog. We are going to work you. you look, look, you want to have a family and kids, you're going to pay for the college, the prep school, but you can't. There's no way because we got to win. This is Egypt. This is, this is the business. We got to win, and we're going to work you. You know, maybe for you it's like these friends. Like, man, these friends make me do stuff that I don't want to do. But if I have these friends, I got this reputation, that's what I want. That's where I find my Sabbath rest is in that. That's where I find my peace is when I get these people or this influence or this kind of health. When I get this kind of job, this kind of opportunity, this kind of marriage, and if I can just do whatever I gotta do, God does. And God says, not my kids. No, my kids are not gonna live life that way. No, not my people. They're not gonna live with that kind of life. I did not create them to live like that. So God says this in Exodus 3. He says, I see it. I see it. I'm gonna come down there. I'm going to come down. I've seen the suffering of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of the men. Here it is. This is it. This is the straw that broke the camel's back for God. It's the work. For God, it it wasn't. The most offensive thing about Egypt wasn't the gods. You know, it wasn't the gods. It wasn't they had bad language. No, it was a Sabbathless work life. It was a Sabbath. They were so consumed with work and project that God's gonna say, "I'm gonna come down there now." You see, here's why. Here's the problem with that kind of culture, the Sabbathless culture. This is the kind of problem with that. It breeds what's called a scarcity mentality, and it followed the Jews even as they left Egypt. It followed them into the wilderness. It's the idea that we only got so much strength. We can't go into that land filled with giants because we only got so much strength. We only got so many people. And Egypt's like, you only got so much food, you got to earn it. You got to work for it. You only got so much opportunity, you got to keep working for it. There's only so much. So we got to work, work, work. It's a trust issue. If you don't believe in a God who created everything in six days and you just get to enjoy it and enjoy him and he owns it, He created it. He's going to sustain it and you have access to him. If you don't believe in that, then yeah, you got a scarcity mentality because there's only so much and you got to get it. There's only so many opportunities that are going to come your way in life. Only so many boyfriends or girlfriends to get married. There's only going to be so many kids. There's only so much, There's only so much rather than a God who owns it all, including you and you belong to him. He's your heavenly father. You see that the most offensive thing is that kind of work ethic, that Sabbathless work ethic, that really ultimately is a heart issue. It builds a Sabbathless heart, which is a trustless heart in God. It's all on me, and there's only so much. And God says, "No, now my kids aren't going to live that way. I've had enough of that. I'm going to come down there." Centuries later, He did it again, and His name is Jesus, and He did it. For a different kind of pharaoh he did it for the pharisees that were making you and i build temples of good works and obedience and all this stuff and the pharisees had the same scarcity mentality thing it's like Look, there's only so much grace of god there's only so much love there's only so much protection from him there's only so much acceptance available to you through god so you got to earn it you got to stack those obedience bricks high and deep and climb your way to god and you've got to maintain it because there's only so much grace And centuries later, God saw these pharaohs, these Pharisees, and he said, no, not my people. Not my people. I'm going to be their God. I've got all the grace. It's infinite. I got all the love. I got all the protection and the power, and I'm going to give them direct access to it. I'm going to be Lord of the Sabbath. I'm going to dole it out. I'm going to do all the work like Jesus did. I'm going to obey all the laws. I'm going to do all the work, and then I'm going to give the reward away. For free. And you know who wants to kill that Lord of the Sabbath? The Pharaohs. Pharaohs, Pharisees, man, they hate that. They hate that because it's like, man, if I can control people, if I can control people by making them think they gotta obey all this stuff, if I can control people's perspective about me because I obey all the rules, I did all the things, I built my towers of good works. Look at me, look at Brian. If I can control people like that, And you're coming in and you're saying it doesn't matter, none of that, it's all in you. And you're just going to start giving out grace and and love and acceptance to people who live sinless, sinful lives. And if they just believe in you, you're just going to, no way. No, no, we're going to kill that. The Lord of Sabbath, we're going to, you want to be Lord of the Sabbath and give it away like that? No. See, some of you are in church for the first time in a long time because you're coming from, that kind of pharaoh religious build, religious tower building. You got to obey all this stuff. You got to be in church. You got to tithe. You got to fast. You got to do all this stuff. And there's only so much grace, man. You string together a couple bad weekends. There's only so much grace for you. There is only so much acceptance from God. There's only so much love. And you got to get back to work. And Jesus, man, he God says no. He says no. We're not doing that. I'm going to come down there. I'm going to do all the work. I'm going to have all the good weekends. I'm going to be perfect. And then guess what? I'm going to give out the grace for free, and people just got to rest in. I want to be Lord of their Sabbath. That's called Easter. But there's another, there's another group of people in this story, and we just read about them in Matthew 21. You know, Jesus comes into town, right? He comes into town. There's a large crowd, man. They're spreading their cloaks. Everywhere they're celebrating him. They're so excited he's here. And then somebody pipes up, they go, Hey, who is this guy? And the crowd responds. This is what they say about Jesus. Crowd, crowd, they, you know, they ask, Who is this? Crowd answers, He's a prophet. No, he's not a prophet. You see, uh, prophets draw crowds good teachers, you know, Gandhi, all these, you know, we should, they're good, we should obey what they teach. He's a good prophet. Prophets, people like prophets. They give you good advice. They tell you how to navigate the signs of the times. Yeah. But Lord of the Sabbath? No. And here's why, if I'm going to be personal with you guys, this is kind of why I've sometimes wanted to, wanted to just pick Jesus as prophet and not as Lord of the Sabbath, because I find my Lord of my rest and other things. You know, like if I, I obey all the rules, I do all these things, I find lots of rest in maybe what people think about me. Maybe building my little tower of good works or good things, good things at work, whatever. And I, and I get my rest from that, maybe. Or maybe for you, it's like, Jesus, I've been building my tower. of I, I get my rest from my kids. are all good. And everybody's happy and safe. And I put them in a wand. I put them in a greenhouse. But God, somewhere along the way, they're not following you anymore. And I did all the things. I built the tower. And you're not giving me my rest, what I want, the Lord of my Sabbath, which is my kids, my family, my marriage. Maybe for you it's a job. Like, God, I did everything right. I went to church. I tithed. I gave my money away. And then I lost it all. What the heck, God? I, I did all the right things. I had a system, okay? And these were my things that I was building by obeying all the rules. And then it's gone. I don't have my health. I'm sick. That's where I get my rest. And Jesus is coming to you this morning. He's going, hey, remember, I'm Lord of your Sabbath too. I didn't die on that cross so that one day a week you can be happy and be at peace and then live terrified and worried the rest of the week. That's not why I died. The reason I died on the cross is so you can have Sabbath every single day of the week. Look, applying this message is not taking one day a week and resting. And that may be, that's a good rhythm. I think there's a good principle there. But the, applying this message is not living like there's no God six days a week, and then one day a week you're going to have faith again. Jesus Christ came to be Lord of the Sabbath, and he lives in your heart, which means it is Lord of the Sabbath every single day of the week if you just believe you just believe in Jesus, if you just put your trust and your faith in Jesus, he becomes your rest for the rest of your life. You see, this whole, this Sabbath, I do believe there's no difference between, I mean, there's not a physical world where God's not involved in it, And then there's the spiritual stuff over here. It's all spiritual. God is at work in all of it, which is physical rest is important. But when you live your life just physically working all the time to try to get your things, and then those things don't work out, Jesus is asking you a question this morning. He goes, was your rest really in me? Was I really the Lord of your rest? Or was it in something that you wanted from me? I love you too much to allow anything else to be the Lord of your Sabbath. And sometimes we just say, no, I don't want it. You're a good prophet, Jesus, but you're not the Lord of my rest. And until you give it to me, I don't want anything to do with you. But Jesus pleads with you just the same way I believe he pleaded with with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. But he's asking you this morning, saying, don't harden your heart. Let me be your rest. Do not harden your heart. Those things don't belong to you. Pharaoh kept saying, my people. And And God would keep saying to Pharaoh, let my people go. Let them go. They don't belong to you. None of it belongs to you. It all belongs to me. And if you believe in Jesus, you have all of God. And that means you don't need anything else. You don't need people. You don't need anything else if you have Jesus. This is the gospel. You know what being a Christian is? Resting. You know what being a mature Christian is? Being really mature at resting. And really good at resting in the infinite amount of God's grace, acceptance, love, forgiveness. This is a prayer, I've been praying this myself. I just, because I work through all this stuff. Before I put you guys in the hot seat, I gotta get in it. So I've been praying through this for a while now. This is a prayer I've written out. I've been praying this lately. If it helps you, great. It's not the Bible, so you don't have to memorize it or anything, but it's just a prayer I've been praying that's been helping me, I've been saying this a lot. Jesus, I am sorry for trying to earn my rest my way. I'm sorry for trying to earn rest my way. and I am tired. I am tired. So Jesus, I need you to be my rest. Not my health, that some opportunity on the horizon, some dollar amount, some bank account, some some family situation even to work out. I need you to be my rest for the rest of my life. There is a... uh, there's a, a there's a, a beautiful thing that happens in the Hebrew poetry that um, a little bit lost in translation coming to the English. It's not like the Bible's imperfect if it's English. It just means there's translation you know going on, and there's a a, a a beautiful picture in Genesis chapter two that you see in the Hebrew poetry that comes out in this translation here. And here it is, Genesis chapter two, one through two. So the heavens and the earth were completed and all that is on in them. On the seventh day, God ended his work. How do, you, how do you end your work if you're not working? Right? I mean, how do you complete your work if you're supposed to be resting? Answer, you're not complete until you rest. American theology is is when your work's done, you're done. Biblical theology is as, you're not done until you find your rest in God alone all of creation needs to find its rest in God alone and we don't talk about six days of creation we talk about seven because it took seven it was not complete until creation found its rest in God alone the Lord of the sabbath Jesus says the sabbath is not for God it's for man you know what that is? That's called grace. That's called a gift. It's not for me. It's for you. It's not for me. It's for you. It's because God loves you. He gives you this free gift. You can't earn it. He did the work six days earlier. You just get the reward. The question is, will you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your Sabbath, your rest for the rest of your life? Let's pray. jesus i am under no delusion that in a room this size gosh there are people that are experiencing hard times maybe even they just feel like plagues like like and they're trying not to let go of something like pharaoh didn't want to let go of his people he didn't want to like because it's like god i i just pray you loosen the grip this morning that you would not harden these people's hearts that their hearts would be the opposite of pharaoh It would loosen up and let go They can't own it. They can't hold on to it, Lord. Anything that they're holding on to that is not you is finite and will not last. Jesus, I just pray that we would make you Lord of our rest, of our Sabbath. Because ultimately, Lord, it's true whether we believe it or not. So, Lord, I pray that we go home today and we we apply this sermon by putting our feet up our spiritual feet up, Lord, for the rest of the week, for the rest of our lives, and enjoying the work that you did for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.